it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern, to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 74. Tonight, we're going to talk about potential investor problems when examining the history of the market. Andrew has been on a bit of a history bent lately, and I'm a big fan of history, and I love learning more stuff about what has happened in the past because that can always help us in the future when we make decisions. Those who fail to learn from the past are bound to fail in the future. So go ahead and starting off, Andrew, why don't you go ahead and talk up to us a little bit about short time periods are valueless. Yeah. So I think this is a nice kind of follow up to last week's because we kind of examined the same type of thing, right? A lot of studies, academic studies, studies about the stock market are looking at what happened in the past. And let's see if we can find a trend, a correlation, and maybe use that to have better success in the future. And so we, we kind of focus in on like the ac- the uh, academic part, the, the the particular problems that can arise when when you're looking at particular studies and and how they're doing that. So now we can kind of look also how people like you and I, the average investor, might do kind of similar things. And this is particularly common with beginners. Uh, if, If you're not putting thought into this and how it can affect what kind of decisions you're making, then, you know, you might not even realize you're making these, these kind of mistakes. So, I mentioned last week how I'm reading this book called Bull. Uh, it's talking about the history of some of the bull markets. Right now, I'm focused on the bull market of the 90s. And it's cool to like see... The book puts yourself in the shoes of, of some of these people as they were living it in real time. So you had... And, and you know, I'm, I'm blanking on the, the name of this... I believe she was a she was an analyst. Um, basically, she this was you know you have to put yourself again in the nineties. You had the the internet really kind of coming into the mainstream, and it was really changing the whole business world. And so she really kind of tied herself to technology. She she was an analyst who who really covered technology stocks and. 
as as a lot of these IPOs, you know, a lot of investment bankers are making huge sums. I think there was one guy that said something where he made like three hundred million dollars a year, and he was kind of like uh, a leader of one of the companies, like a uh, Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs, where there are these investment banks that are helping these small companies go public, obviously getting the commissions off of that. And so a lot of money was being made and a lot of people like this analyst were good at picking out the winners and and really kind of bringing these stocks that were going from IPO to into the market and then having like relative success in the business world, which would translate to massive success on Wall Street, particularly in this time period, because there was just so much money going around. And you had the Fed cutting interest rates, uh, just flooding the market with liquidity. So a lot of different factors that were leading up to everything that you saw in the 90s and that finally bubbled up and crashed in 2000, 2001. But this analyst became like a great expert and she became so bullish with technology stocks. She she produced this like 300 page report and, and the book said that a six or eight page report uh, at you know, on Wall Street was considered very, very extensive. So she went crazy with this. And, and I think it said something about uh, the future of the internet, or she was essentially covering like the internet and new tech. So she became very bullish and uh, became somewhat of a darling to the rest of the investment community and the rest of the mainstream. And so when she was bullish, a lot of people trusted her. And she was very good at what she did. Uh, a lot of people trusted her and went bullish on a lot of these stocks and made money for a short period of time. Where that gets lost is that there was no respect for previous bull markets, previous boom periods, and the the various cycles of the stock market. And I think this can become very easy for any of us to fall trap into. Like what what is the equivalent of that today? Well I think it's safe to say that would be the FANG stocks. Um, we see these stocks and for sure, they dominate everything that we, all, all aspects of our daily life. I mean, I know I use Google probably on a daily basis. Uh, I have a lot of my pictures and, and life stories posted up on Facebook. Uh, you have people who swear by Apple products and have so many of their different devices. They've got their music on there. They might have their photos on on the on the Apple platform. All these different things uh, are really phenomenon that we haven't seen before. However, this isn't an isolated case in the sense that we haven't seen these type of booms happen in the stock market. And so I'm not saying that the business implications of these type of companies are necessarily not unprecedented. However, the way that Wall Street works and the way that the whole community gets so, as uh, Robert Schiller calls it, irrationally exuberant, uh, there will always be this magnifying effect. I understand using the word always it, it can, can be troublesome, but there will always be this, mag this uh, <clears throat> magnifying effect where people will take what's going on in the business world and just like fear and greed, these emotions are part of our nature. And it kind of gets exasperated even further with with trend the, these trend algorithms and all this trading that goes back and forth and and the internet and how people get 
so caught up in their little ideas of, of why a stock is bullish. And so you'll see that. And it's important to look at long time periods instead of short time periods so that you don't fall into the same kind of trap as what we saw with the analysts in the 90s. Referencing uh, James O'Shaughnessy's great book again, he talked about the soaring 60s. Um, and, you know, there's always these cute names for these phenomenon that we see in the stock market that come after the fact, right? Whoever thought up the idea of fang stocks, that was brilliant. And it's so catchy. Back in the 60s, it was called the Soaring 60s and the Go-Go Growth Managers. So you could even look at what most people consider a longer time period, like five years. And uh, O'Shaughnessy talks about from 1963 to 1968, you could have done a study where you bought certain certain stocks with certain characteristics and the one he referenced doubled the S&P 500 over five years. And then he said that same strategy over the next five years lost over half its value while the S&P 500 gained 2%. So this is something that we definitely want to keep in mind. Understand that time periods that are that serve as reliable kind of history lessons might be a lot longer than we might think a time period should be. Also respect the history of the market, respect the history of essentially the way the market behaves and and the fact that as of today, right? AI is not uh, as, as far as we've seen, as far as what's been talked about in the mainstream, AI is not investing for us uh, for the majority of the market. And so that means there are humans and humans are emotional and they do a lot of irrational things that might not make sense when you zoom out. So these are all things to keep in mind and make sure that we're understanding the history of the stock market, but also doing it in the right way, not looking at short-term things, understanding that the idea that something is new and different is not a new idea at all that's been shown over and over and over again with all different types of bull markets. Make sure you're not falling into that trap. And an easy way to do that is just what we talk about on the podcast all the time. Invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Who knows, in five years, when the market doesn't care so much about FANG stocks and FANG stocks become these boring blue chip companies, they might become you know, trading at valuations that are much more reasonable and then that would be a great time to capitalize and hold. I think a great example of that's like Microsoft. Why aren't they putting Microsoft in the Fang discussion when Microsoft was the Fang stock of the the nineteen ninety nine two thousand time period? And as we've talked about, Microsoft has been a fantastic investment the last five years. So all things to keep in mind. I think very very important and something that you might not think about when you're first starting out. Just make sure you're checking in and and doing that margin of safety, being patient. And really, by by investing with a margin of safety, you're protecting yourself against getting caught up in the greed side of a bull market. Yeah, those are great points. And I think one thing that I'd like to throw on the fire with this is when you think about how math works, there's always a reversion to the mean. And again, going back to my baseball, you know, fantasy baseball love the love of the sport there's been a a trend towards 
using math in baseball and they talk all the time about reversion to the mean and they talk about players as i mentioned last week they talk a, a lot about players that are doing really really well for a short period of time they always talk about how they're going to revert back to the mean and it's statistically proven that you can see that and tobias carlisle in his great book uh, the acquirer's multiple talks a lot about that as well with the stock market and stocks that may be flying high will always revert back to the mean. Gravity will take effect at some point. It always does. And that's one of the things that you can learn from studying the history of the stock market. And I know Andrew has talked a lot about that. And he's, you know, he bought a book. What was the what was the S&P book that you bought? The, what year was that from? I bought several. Uh, 1996 is one that I'm staring at right now, and I bought one okay. from like the 70s, and that's been yeah, cool think- to like see the lists of companies. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Yeah, and that's, I guess that's kind of what I was referencing was the, the one from the seventies. You know, you look at the top stocks from that time period and you compare them to 30, some, 30, 40 years, some time later, and they're not the same stocks. They're not the same companies that are going to be in the top 10. So time does change things. And can know, I name a few of those? Of the, yeah, absolutely. That'd be interesting. They had a, 
in the very beginning, before they list all the stocks in the SP 500, they had like an aggressive group. So they said like stocks for potential price appreciation. They had a conservative group and an aggressive group. So I'm just reading off the top five, right? From the aggressive Capital Cities Broadcasting, Senco Instruments, Duplin Corp, Fleetwood Enterprises, and General Portland Cement Gimbal Brothers. And then from the uh, conservative, I see like a bunch that I recognize Bank America Corp, which is now Bank of America, Campbell Soup, uh, General Electric, General Mothers. Gillette, Goodyear, Johnson Johnson. Oh, yeah. Crazy, yeah, right? Yeah, it is crazy. So all the all the first ones were like aggressive growth stocks and the second ones were considered conservative. Right. And those are all still around. Not to say that those other companies aren't around, but I certainly have I personally have never heard of any of them. Right. You have you heard of <laughs> uh, any I know of? about Capital Cities broadcasting because that was a Buffett thing that I th- Okay. Did Disney buy it? Somebody bought them, and then he he eventually sold out of that position. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'll admit I was not a, I had not heard of I, any of them, yeah. and so I think that just kind of illustrates my point about how you, sh- you know a short time period, you know, looking at a high flyer and getting super excited about something that's you know rising you know greatly, uh, very quickly. It the history of it is its gravity is going to take its hold eventually and it will come back to earth it will revert back to the mean and finding great companies and investing in great companies is really what this is all about yeah 100 percent. hopefully we've <laughs> two weeks in a row we pounded that in your head and examples <laughs> or you believe us <laughs> yeah ho- hopefully all right so moving on uh let's talk about the next one uh the next one this is one of my favorites it's different this time andrew okay so O'Shaughnessy talks about Isaac Newton, who lost a fortune in the South Sea Trading Company bubble. So this was like 1700s. Uh, He was a fantastically intelligent guy, but did not make a good investment decision. I don't know if he ended up broke or what, but he had a quote. He said he could calculate the motions of heavenly bodies, but not the madness of men. And so, you know, this idea of that there's bubbles, this idea that there's mania that, you know, can even happen outside of the stock market. Example of that that's super popular and we've referenced it a couple of times, the tulip mania, right, where a single bulb of a tulip became worth more than like people's property and stuff. Uh, the South Sea Trading Company, a stock where... uh you know, there's so much exploration and people saw it as this new creation of wealth that had never been seen before. Recently, we've seen it with Bitcoin. So, you know, it, it's different this time. Uh, you could be, there's been plenty of examples of people who are very, very smart yet because they don't respect the emotions of the market, they get killed. Yeah, they do. And just talking about the the bubbles that have burst in the last you know in our lifetime you look at the last great recession and everybody was saying right before that happened it's different this time it's different this time and it's not going to happen we're not going to have this huge drop off or things are not going to go sideways and we're going to lose all of our money and you you think about how much the stock market has risen since that period of time and there are a lot of uh, perma bears out there that are talking a lot about how things are going to fall off and then you have you know the enthusiasts to say this will never happen again it's different this time it's you know things are not going to change and the history of the stock market you know will always come back to bite you in the butt and you have to pay attention to 
things that have happened in the past so you can learn from the mistakes that people have made in the past and not just in your investing life, but in your personal life. And it's, it's so critical to think about, you know, decisions that you make and when you make them and you have to think about why am I making this decision? And if it's being based on, I think it's different this time, then I would caution you to be hesitant about pulling the trigger on something like that because you look at, you know, think about just anything that's, you know, the hot new thing, you know, electric cars. Uh, marijuana is a very popular topic as of recently. And I certainly don't want to go into any of the political debate about that. But if you just look at the investing business side of it, uh, there is, of course, potential. But who knows if that's going to happen or play out. But there are companies that are, you know, fluctuating, you know, wildly right now because of the rumors and the different innuendo and the different news reports that you hear about coca-cola for example is considering you know creating a cbd drink and some other things and people are you know trying to hop on the bandwagon to catch the latest greatest craze and i'm sure they're all saying it's going to be different this time you know you know cannabis or marijuana is going to be the hot thing and it may be i could be wrong i'm not saying i'm right or wrong but it it could be the next big thing, but you don't know, but I know everybody's that's buying is it's different this time. It's not going to happen like it did with Bitcoin a year and a half ago. It went from what, 20,000 to like 3000. So, you know, you got to be careful. You, you got to do your due diligence and you got to, you got to pay attention to what you're doing. It's, it's not always going to be different this time. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge market obviously, but when valuations get too high, you don't want to be getting into those type of stocks. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I love the quote. I think that just summarizes it so perfectly from O'Shaughnessy. He says, from the past, the future flows. History never repeats exactly, but the same types of events continue to occur. Yep. yep I agree. That's awesome. All right. So moving on, the next topic is going to be anecdotal evidence is not enough. Hey, you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Yep, I think um, most intelligent people can understand that, obviously, uh, especially if you have like a scientific kind of way of the way your mind works. Um, there's, It's so easy to get wrapped up in something that's anecdotal. Um, so easy to believe, you know, because it makes for great stories. I mean, we have different parts of our brains uh, some of it is really emotional based and, and feeds off stories and, and a lot of people are wired that way and that's awesome. Uh, and some people are, 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 you know, a little bit more logical and don't get swept up in the story instead want to look at uh, maybe like probabilities, chances, um, s- stuff to do with statistics. So when it comes to the stock market, uh, a place that's dominated with numbers, uh, your success or your failure will depend on which way the ticker symbol moves in regards to the numbers. I think it should be blatantly obvious that you don't want to look at one one little thing, right? One, one person who found massive success or one strategy that found massive success. You want to look at what has statistically and, and with enough evidence where it's no longer anecdotal 
and and then and then maybe use that as a as a useful lesson that you can apply to your own decisions and your own decision making. I think a good example of that, right? If if we want to challenge the our faith a little bit, Dave, with value investing, Buffett's probably the most obvious anecdotal evidence there is, specifically the the Buffett and Munger kind of duo. We've obviously haven't seen the way they've been able to grow the book value Berkshire through making these investments and acquisitions has just been unseen. And they have this superhuman ability to make amazing investment decisions for a very, very long time period. And they've done it consistently. However, when you study other value investors, you see that it's not anecdotal and that there have been enough that have found similar types of outsized success where you start to see a correlation. For example, with the super investor speech that Warren Buffett made, when you have a group of investors who are all trained from the same sensei, if you will, you know, the same mentor, all, all followed Benjamin Graham and, and his lessons, then you start to see that while there are outliers and there will always be people who do better than others, just statistically from a purely statistical standpoint, the fact that they all come from the same school of thought should give you an indication that this probably isn't just a a random chance. It's not just somebody hitting the lottery, but there can be a lot of weight behind this. I think, uh, you'll see countless stories and I'm sure we'll see them the longer that, you know, with, with Twitter and the internet and these ways that stories can, can be go viral. I'm sure, uh, nothing's coming to mind right now, but I'm sure we had, you know, people from getting rich from Bitcoin or, or people getting rich from, uh, day trading. That's, that's been something historically, um, Lots of these things can happen and people can think, well, yeah, uh, I can do it as well. But if, if, if you're basing it just off that single person and not off like a broader picture, I think that's where stock market studies can be really useful, like we talked about last week. At least with a, with a study, as long as you're aware of the dangers of, of that study and you're accounting for it, well, the great thing about studies is you have a massive database and, and a lot of pieces of evidence that you can stack together to really show you that something's not anecdotal and something is more reliable when it comes to, okay, there seems to be some sort of correlation here. And we've kind of considered what could possibly be the reason for this. And this seems to be uh, the most reasonable reason that makes sense. And, and that's the best that you can do, I think. And, and that's something that's important when, you, when you're looking at the history, too, is that I don't know if there's a quote. There's definitely a quote about like if, 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 if stocks were all about numbers, then accountants would all be the most wealthy people in the world. I, I believe there's another one that said if, if just learning from history was enough to to do really well in the stock market, then historians would all be the most richest people in the world. So, you know, remember history is a tool. It's something that can teach you a lot, but at the same time, it's not a panacea. And you want to make sure that you're not falling trap into thinking you can just apply it 
100% black and white. And so I guess I got off on a little bit of a tangent, but <laughs> maybe you can uh, add some thoughts to why you think anecdotal evidence is not enough. Well, I, I think, uh, I guess the only thing that I would really kind of throw out there was you were talking a little bit about the, the some of the super investors and some of the people of maybe a little more recent time, like uh, Monish Prabhai, Guy Spear, uh, some of those people, they've done fantastically well using the same framework that Warren Buffett and Charlie Munker have used. And they've kind of, they've taken it to a, I wouldn't say a new level, but they have taken it from a, a different, slightly different path in that they are learning from Buffett and Munger, whereas Buffett and Munger were learning directly from the source. So every time you get a little farther away from the original source, there's going to be some changes to how they do things. And I think that that is, you know, evidence that it's not just, you know, it's not just one guy. It's not just Buffett. It's not just Munger that there's been so many other people that have done this, that it's, you know, you can't just take the basis of one person has done fantastically well. You were mentioning uh, Bitcoin. I specifically remember that I don't remember the gentleman's names, but the guys that helped. Um, oh, I'm going to blame Mark Zuckerberg create Facebook, or I don't, I don't know if he helped create it. Or the two gentlemen that he was went to school with that they had a dispute about who actually started Facebook. Yes. Anyway, those the those guys became uh, the first Bitcoin billionaires. And I remember that was all over Facebook for a short time period. I don't know what since has come of that, but <clears throat> I know they were trotting, trot, you know, trotting that out as evidence that investing in Bitcoin could make you a billionaire. And using that as just one prime example is certainly not enough for you to invest in something like that. Is it fair to say that maybe you can combine the idea that we talked about at the very beginning where... If the time period's too short, then it's more likely to be anecdotal. Like yes. when you mentioned Buffett, we're talking about a history that goes all the way back to Benjamin Graham, which was the 1920s. Right. So you're seeing like a pattern over time, whereas something's more likely to be anecdotal if it's like your example perfectly, one person or even maybe a group of people, but over such a short time period that it could be more because of the market rather than because it works. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think that would be, I think, a perfect way to kind of tie that all together. Okay, cool. All right, so let's move on to the last thing you wanted to talk about, which was the specific value investing backtest pitfalls. We wanted to touch a little bit on something that we were talking about last week. Yeah, so this one's tough, right? Because um, there's a lot of great studies out there, and um, particularly in the value investing, the quant space, a lot of this number-based stuff. Um, something that I've struggled with and kind of seen as a potential problem, this is maybe much more advanced than the average beginner or average investor, but there's obviously a lot of evidence of value investing working, value investing being able to produce outsized returns, and a lot of numbers that back that up. However, you have to be careful because you want to really see, you got to read in and, and see how applicable is that to you. I know there was a Merrill Lynch study that showed that value stocks outperformed growth stocks and and the market, obviously, uh, 
and it was something to the effect of like they the value stocks over 90 years produced returns of 17% where gross stocks was somewhere between I think it was 12% and the market was 10%. Uh, and there's just been countless other studies and a lot of the people that we follow and respect who've, who've made some really great findings in the field uh, that show just how well value investing does over the long term. But you have to think about, I'm the average investor, right? I don't run a hedge fund. I'm not managing huge sums of money. So how relevant is this particular backtest to me? And And, and it's not going to be whether it's a back test, an academic study, uh, a study like the Merrill Lynch study, there's not going to be uh, a clear-cut answer that you can just apply across everything to say that, okay, that's, that's, that's how it applies to me. Everybody's situation is different financially. The way you are investing is different. I love to advocate dollar cost averaging where you invest a specific amount every single month and then really like Buffett, trying to hold as long as you can, as long as the business looks good. And so a lot of the studies, at least today, and I hope this changes, and I'm sure it will as, as more data, more computational power, uh, you have so many more people doing these sorts of studies and back tests every single day. But you know, this idea of that specifically, a lot of the studies I've seen will give you a basket of stocks and then at the end of a year you have to rebalance it so what rebalancing means is you are adding to some positions and you're taking away from some positions for an investor particularly if if you're investing with small amounts of capital let's say you're doing 150 dollars a month like i advocate that uh as, as a recommendation as a start point especially if you don't have much excess uh in your budget to be able to, to do a lot more but at least to get started and you're doing like ally brokerage like me and dave use w- with transaction fee of 495 a trade you know to rebalance every year you're looking at probably six to eight to maybe ten trades if not more um depending on what your portfolio looks like year after year after year so you're looking at if you're only doing $150 a month and you're doing a 495 transaction fee and you're stacking a bunch of those, <laughs> you're almost paying uh, as much or more in transaction fees than you're actually putting into the market. That's obviously going to give you really really poor results. Also, you know if if your holding strategy is completely different, say you want to have a low turnover portfolio and you're trying to hold uh, very very long term like a lot of successful investors have done rebalancing every year is not going to fit with your strategy as well. So can you really take those findings and and really apply them 100%? I think I think it's a judgment call. I think it's something you just have to be you have to get an intuitive feel for. And so if you're looking at the history of the market, you're trying to draw lessons and and you're trying to specifically apply it. We talked about last week how uh an academic study could could be inconclusive or or lead you down a potentially wrong path. Today I'm telling you as it specifically relates to the way you take action in the market, be careful and make sure you're really putting enough thought into the way you're investing, how much money you are allocating. The story's going to be completely different for a hedge fund where transaction fees aren't a problem, where they're able to rebalance with positions and and, and be completely fine generate alpha in that way. It might not be 
applicable to you as the average investor. And so you want to keep that in mind. And something that I hope becomes more of like a talking point and more of like a a goal for people, because I I really believe in long-term investing, buy and hold investing, being part owner of a business. And even though there's so much data out there from the quant side about how stocks have been doing based on price-based valuations or other financial characteristics, you still haven't seen a lot. And, and maybe I just haven't stumbled upon them. If, if you've seen them, please send them my way. I'd be so interested to read them. But you know, studies where, where you're having time periods that are, that are much, much longer. And I realize that's really hard to do because then now you're getting into the problem of, well, if I'm investing once a month, how, how is my, um, how is my study making this 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 decision? And, and you can't replace a human in, in that sense too. So a lot of different pitfalls, but I think if you're aware of it and you understand the limitations of, of what you're trying to do and what you're trying to learn from the history of the stock market, then you'll be fine. And, and you can at least take the broad general themes and apply it to make really great decisions, to make sure you're in general, investing with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety, you are stacking the odds in your favor statistically and just doing everything that you reasonably can as the average investor and then letting the chips fall as they may. Understanding how the market will generally act over very, very long time cycles and and make sure you're not trying to split atoms. Like Keep it simple, but at the same time, be smart about how you're drawing lessons from the market. Excellent. As Buffett would say, perfect. Perfect. <clears throat> Carol? Perfect. Carol? <laughs> okay. I think we're done. All right. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion for tonight. I hope you enjoyed our discussion on potential investor problems when examining the history of the market. Uh, there's a lot you can learn from history, and the more you can learn, the better you can make better decisions. I thought Andrew has some fantastic points tonight, some things that you should really keep in mind when you're considering any sort of investment. So as always, go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. You guys have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.